Welcome to the Disruptive Entrepreneur Podcast. What does the word disruptive mean to you? It means going beyond the ordinary, going beyond the status quo. Not thinking in the conventional way, not just sort of following the herd. Disruptive means shaking things up, you know? Disruptive entrepreneur is somebody who sees the problem and embraces the problem with a new way. Shake up and awakening. Quality will take care of itself and you'll go from being disruptive but also profitable. When you use your own reservoir of talent, when you love what you do, then you disrupt. Mix it up, change it up and dominate. And now, your host, eight times best-selling author and double world record holder, Rob Moore. Hi, it's Rob Moore here and welcome to the Disruptive Entrepreneur live studio interview for the video and audio podcast. Now, I'm very privileged to have a very special guest with me. Uh, I don't know if you can guess who he is, but before I start officially, I do have to ask you, should I address you as Glenn or Kane or Mayor? <laughs> hey, call me anything you want. Glenn would be great, though. Okay, so Glenn, thank you for taking your time to do the interview. Thank you for having me. So um, I'm always fascinated by people who are um, very successful in multiple disciplines. And uh, you're a wrestler, an actor, an author, a businessman, a realtor, a mayor of Knox County, a politician. That's an amazing array of talents. Um, what, what would you say you most identify with? Like if people didn't know you and you said, hi, I'm Glenn and I am, what would that be? Uh, I don't know. That's a great question. Um, I think it's just me. I think all the other stuff is just stuff. It's of course, it's part of my life, but it, it's just me. I don't know if I could say, you know, that, that, um, anything is more important than anything else. It's all just part of me and what I do. And I think that all too often though, we make the mistake of, um, we judge people by what they do, what mm. their job is or what their career is. And, uh, instead of, um, talking to people as people and uh, taking them that way. Yeah. And is there any part of your journey or varied journey maybe that you most identify with or that you most maybe have enjoyed as a career or is it just a, a life transition? I really enjoyed wrestling. Um, it was wonderful to be out in front of crowds and it's very gratifying now when people come up and just want to shake my hand and, and thank me for providing them with years of entertainment. That's amazing. That's really the best part of my career in entertainment was in the end, the idea of you really do touch people's lives emotionally. Um, now in, in, in a different role, uh, I'm, I'm having a lot of fun, uh, because it, you, you feel like you have an impact on your community um, in this role. And, and that's what it's all about. Uh, so it's a lot of fun in a very different way. But uh, nevertheless, I, mean, I don't know which one of those I like more. I, re I really like, do like the mayor job. It's a lot of fun. And how did you get into that? Because that's a really big career transition. I mean, I know Arnold obviously went from his vocation to, into politics, but probably not that common. How did you move that into that field? Well, it's just something that I've always been interested in. I've always been interested in government politics and um, uh, something that I, I ne didn't necessarily want to get into public office uh, at various points in my life. And I think about it like, oh, why would I ever want to do that? Um, but then it just literally one day I woke up and thought, you know, I, I think that I could, I could run for that office and win that office. 
And uh, that was really it. I mean, again, it's just the idea that you can have an impact on your community. Um, you know, you can uh, you can't always make things turn out certain ways, but you can certainly have an influence on how things turn out. Mm. This might sound like a weird question, but obviously you're in an entertainment business, uh, reaching millions of people, and that's a, there's marketing and promotion involved in wrestling, of course. Do you think that experience in that world help you campaign and um, you know essentially win the the mayor seat? Oh yes, it did actually, um, because you have to be able to craft a message that people are going to understand and be attracted to. Um, you don't make the mistake of just telling people what they want to hear. I hate that. Uh, but you, you can put things from a different perspective or put things in a different way that makes sense. And, uh, it's that, that ability to communicate and the ability to connect and the ability to, to get a message across that, uh, I learned in, my career in WWE, I think it does help me a lot, not only campaigning, but also um, sometimes in, in this job. I mean, I have an idea, but I have to have public support for that idea. Uh, and so with how do you craft the message so that you can, you can generate that kind of support? And, you know, frankly, that's not always an easy thing to do. Um, and there are, there are ways that it happens. Um, you can't, you know, if something's so complex that people aren't going to understand it at first blush, there's no point, right? So you have to be able to break things down and put them in, in a certain way that people are going to say, oh, I see. Yeah, that's a good idea. And I, I understand why that's important. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. So have you had this like vision and goal from an early age that you want to do many careers and when you're in one career, you're planning another? Or no, absolutely not. Yeah, sorry, <laughs> no, my life has been much more like Mike Tyson said. Uh, everybody has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. <laughs> yeah. And I, I find that true to be uh, my case. Yeah. I realize that some people out there, they have a plan and they're going to go do this and then this and then this and then this. And every time that I've had a plan to do something, at some point it fell apart and other things uh, popped up. So... I do think that having a goal in mind is very important, but life is very complex. And I think that you also have to be flexible and realize that um, life's not always going to go along with what you want. And you have to figure out how, how to be flexible enough um, to, to, fit, to fit the events that happen to you into your plan, right? You know, you have, you have this is where I want to end up. Um, and sometimes, you know, and then that's the case just in, in many different things. This is where you're, you're going to end up. And a lot of times how you're going to get there um, really is left up to the, I mean, destiny and fate, whatever you want to call it. Mm. Uh, but it's left up to the things that life throws at you. And, and you don't have any fear that sort of letting life bring its gifts to you. You don't have a fear that maybe you will fail in a career or you might not make it or you might leave a previously good career and, and, and be a bit lost. That, that yeah. I mean, I, um, I'm just like everyone else. Um, fear of failure is, is a huge obstacle. Um, and it was, it's been a huge obstacle in my life. But here's the thing. I have failed at a lot of stuff. And the more you fail, the more you realize that's not the end of the story. Yeah. Right. You're going to be able to come back from that 
and to go on. In fact, um, in many cases, failure is actually a positive because if you never fail, that means you didn't try and you're not stepping outside your comfort zone. You're not growing as a human being. Um, inevitably, you're going to fail because when you step outside of your comfort zone, when you step outside of what you're doing, you're learning and you don't have maybe all the tools that you need or things you don't have the experience you need. Things don't turn out like you want them to turn out. But if you don't do that, you're never going to know what your life could be. So uh, I don't think anymore. Um, I, I used to be very afraid of failure. And now I'm just like, well, it's just part of life. And uh, if I'm not doing that, I'm not doing what I should to fulfill what, whatever my potential or whatever plans that, that are out there for me. Are there any particular failures that are memorable to you, either because they were hard or because actually there was a great gift at the other end? I was playing American football at college. Um, I played sports all my life. I uh, started out in playing basketball in high school and uh, actually had an injury which prohibited me from playing uh, at a high college level. Um, but when I got to college, I put on a lot of weight and a uh, football coach came to me and asked if I would like to play football. And um, I looked and said, sure. I mean, my, my basketball career was pretty much over. And uh, it looked like I was going to have a chance to go to the next level and play in the NFL. And uh, I, I destroyed my knee one day in practice. And that was the end, you know, literally. I mean, I kept on trying, but that was that was a huge setback for me in many ways, uh, but especially emotionally, because I had just invested in this idea that, that I was going to be able to play professional football. And um, it was devastating. But it also ended up opening the door into professional wrestling, um, which was probably the best thing that ever happened for me. Mm. So it, it's very true in life. Um, a lot of times the things that happen to you that you don't have any control over that are what you think are tragedies at the time really do turn out to be the best thing that could have happened to you at that particular time. And then that's, that's the story in my case. I mean, um, you know, I, I was dead set and this is what I was going to do. And then I did everything that I needed to do to put myself in a position to accomplish that. And life just took it away from me. Um, so my mind, you know, one of my messages to people is the fact that no matter what happens, you can never give up. You keep on going because you don't know what's around the corner. Uh, when that closes, you don't know what other doors you're going to be able to open. Sure. Now I've interviewed some, um, really successful boxers, some really successful UFC fighters and many other sports people. And, um, many of them were fortunate enough that they got advice early in their career to plan after their career. Like if you're in football in the UK, soccer or tennis, 35 in your career is over. And 95% of really good athletes then get lost at the end of their career and they don't know what to do because they never really had a plan because you obviously can make huge money in that um, apex of your career. So have you got advice to people who maybe haven't got a future plan because you know you you've traversed in many careers well it, it is the realization that this is going to end at some point and you're going to have to most likely going to have to do something else um so you need to start 
thinking about that now and positioning yourself for that now. Um, and especially for athletes, I mean, you know, with their popularity and, and their ability to, to do all sorts of different things, um, I, would, I would encourage people to explore all those possibilities um, and really start setting yourself up for your career afterwards while you're still in your career. Um, the other thing I think is, and I've seen this in, in, in the wrestling business, um, don't let that define you and who you are. Because often what happens is when people leave, you know, leave the spotlight, they just, I mean, it, it's like, uh, it's, it's this huge letdown and, uh, you have to realize that what you're doing is it, it's still a job. It's a vocation, it's a career, but it's not who you are. Uh, so you have a lot of other tools that your life doesn't end when you retire or you leave your sport. And, uh, the key is really, though, is to think about what you want your life to be after this part of it ends. But at the same time, enjoy where you're at. Great. Thank you. So there's a lot of people when they talk about success and, you know, being uh, well, one of the best you can be, they say you've got to focus. You've got to focus. You've got to get brilliant at one thing. Well, you've clearly broken that rule with wrestling, acting, authoring, businessman, realtor and mayor. So do you think that people can be successful in multiple disciplines? And if so... How and does that break the rule of having to focus on one discipline your whole life to be a master at it? No, it doesn't. Uh, you know, Malcolm Gladwell has what is ten thousand hours to be an expert at something. Uh, it's like five years or something like that. And I, and I do agree with that. But there's a difference between um, between the underlying skill and the specific skills. And what I mean by that is the same things that, that I did in WWE to be successful is really relating to other people uh, is the same things that, that have helped me in a lot of other areas. So there are a lot of skills which are translatable. Um, Brian Tracy, who is a great uh, sales trainer and author, uh, I remember reading, uh, listening to one of his talks, and he talks about how Upwards of 80% of your success in life is based on your interpersonal relationship skills. Only 20% is based on your technical ability. And that's even in highly technical fields. Um, so it, it's your skills, especially your interpersonal relationship skills, that are really the most, to me, the most important thing. Mm -hmm. um, and it's also things like, uh, I'm currently reading the, I've never read this, uh, which is probably surprising, but the, uh, the seven habits of highly effective people, it, it's your character. And we always worry about personality and that sort of thing, but it's really your character, your integrity, those sort of things that are the most important stuff. Uh, and you know, we can learn like when, when I, when I'm looking for someone in, in my business or here at the County or whatever, um, they can learn the skills that they need but you can't teach them how to be a good person and you can't teach care and that sort of thing. Uh, so that's actually what I look for is people who are good, good folks uh, and get along well with other people. And then, you know, we, we can teach them the skills that they need. Sure. Okay. Thank you. Um, so we'll move into wrestling. So uh, I'm fascinated by the business of wrestling. Can you take us into a bit of behind the scenes in wrestling in the business of it, how it works, the promotion, obviously the, you know, it's a massive brand. 
Yeah, absolutely. It, it, the history of the wrestling business is fascinating. Uh, it really started as part of the traveling car, carnivals and circuses uh, and then uh, spun off into its own industry. Uh, at one point, there were, especially across the U.S. and really around the world, um, but it, it was very diffuse. There were, there were uh, companies all over the place. We called them territories. And then with the advent of cable television, essentially Vince McMahon uh, was the visionary who saw that there was only going to be one company uh, because it's all going to, there was going to be a gigantic consolidation. And that's what he did. Um, and Vince's true genius lies in his ability to get ahead of the curve when it comes to entertainment technology. Pay-per-view.com, you get redirected to WWE.com. He was the guy that perfected pay-per-view. He understood how important cable television was. Uh, WWE was was streaming stuff on the internet in like 1995. Yeah, right? um, and then eventually uh, he, he understood how important social media was. And now WWE has a WWE network, which is this platform that is completely, um, it's award-winning. It's completely changed um, entertainment delivery because it has both real-time and on-demand uh, uh, components, which is the first first platform to do that. Yeah. But the company itself is fascinating. Uh, it is a global company. They have offices in New York, Chicago, Los Angeles, London, Shanghai, uh, uh, Singapore, uh, I guess, uh, Mumbai, Tokyo, Shanghai, all over the place. Um, and it's, it's it, on the one hand, it's a live touring business, um, much like the circus or uh, uh, concerts. But then you also have the television component. So it's, it's really this hybrid. One of the things I find most interesting is, you know, we'll, we'll go and they'll, they'll do a, a TV show in London uh, and be there and, have everything loaded in and do the show that night and then break everything down. And by the next day they're in Manchester or Birmingham, putting everything back up and doing another show in a very compressed time frame. So uh, the logistics of that are unbelievable. Um, and then you have the marketing wing and just all these different things that, that, that the company has. So it's kind of like a, a vertically integrated entertainment juggernaut would be the best way to describe it. So um, there's a very famous actor in um, Britain called Michael Caine. And in yes. his autobiography, he said, when I'm getting paid a lot of money to do a film, the way I see it is I'm getting paid 10% to make the film and 90% to promote the film. Is that a bit what it's like in the wrestling business? Is it a big part of it, promotion? Yeah, there's a lot of promotion. There's a lot of travel. I would, I would say that we get paid 10% to... to yeah the performance and 90% to get there yeah. uh, and, and all the travel that's involved. And yeah, there's a lot of, a lot of promotion as well. Um, and what, what really WWE does is, is they integrate uh, the television shows with the rest of the business. So a lot of our promotion is actually marketing is actually done through the, uh, the cable TV shows. But I, I would agree with that. And it's probably true in a lot of, of businesses is, mm -hmm. You get you get paid very little to do the actual part of it to do the stuff you like, and you get probably paid a lot to do the stuff that's not as much fun. Sure, sure. Um, now I understand from my research that Kane wasn't the first wrestling character you took on, and you tried a few before. 
So can you take us on that journey and, and then how you like settled on the character Kane? Well, let's talk about failures because I certainly <laughs> had some. Uh, and, and, and again, th- there's, there's no prescribed path to get to WWE. Everybody does it a little differently. It's not like um, other sports where you have minor leagues and then you, you, you work your way up or you're always part of the organization. Um, and so early in my career, I was working for very small companies, um, and, uh, here, here in, in the States, of course. And remember I would drive 200, 300 miles, uh, and not get paid anything just to go out and try to get some experience. It wasn't much fun. Didn't have many people at the shows. I mean, by not many, I mean less than a dozen sometimes. <laughs> uh, and then eventually, eventually I just networked and worked my way up and was able to sign with WWE. My first character was a character called Isaac Yankum, uh, which was a demented wrestling dentist, uh, which was not very successful. It was one of my, another one of my great failures. And I should also note that um, with WWE, uh, I, I didn't create that. Like I, I didn't create any of the characters. I mean, I had input into the characters, but um, in many ways, it's, 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 it's still a TV show where you have writers and people deciding uh, what character you're going to play and, and all that sort of stuff. It's a little different because in TV and movies, they have, they're looking for the person to play the character. Uh, in WWE, they're looking for a character that they think will be successful played by this person. Yeah. So it's a little backwards. Uh, but nevertheless, so the, uh, the wrestling dentist was <laughs> not successful and very short-lived. I had another character, which was uh, called Diesel, which was an imposter of a previous very popular character that WWE had had. Um, that wasn't successful either. And uh, and that one, the the, the uh, Dennis character, a lot of that rests with me. I just, I, I couldn't get into the character. I was like to say that I, I couldn't sink my teeth into it. Um, <laughs> But with with the this other with the Diesel character, it just the audience never gravitated to it. And then um, this character Kane was created for me, and uh, that was that was the, my big break. Uh, so again, you have you have failures, but along the way, uh, you learn things. And I think I was also able to prove to to WWE that I, I was. Um, I was an asset to the company, even though they hadn't found what was right for me. I didn't cause problems. I showed up to work on time, didn't complain, did everything that you needed to do. Uh, and a lot of times, you know, it's like, I think Woody Allen said, uh, uh, 80% of success is just showing up. Ooh. And I showed up and eventually they decided to, uh, they, they decided this character Kane, uh, was going to get what we call a push, which means it was really going to be promoted. And uh, it was, and I was able to be successful with that one. And your wrestling c- career, how long was it? It was a long time. Oh, uh, yeah, it was uh, all told almost 30 years. And what makes you succeed in that career for 30 years when others might only succeed a few years? Well, part of it's just luck. Uh, I was very fortunate. I wasn't, I didn't get hurt very often. Um, even now, people ask me if I'm banged up or whatever. And I'm, I'm, I'm in pretty good shape. I have a bad knee from football, but that was before I ever got into wrestling. Um, and I think a lot of that though, too, is also, I, I always keep myself in shape. Um, and then also it's attitude and just in work. And, uh, that takes you a long way and just having the right attitude and realizing that, um, you know, you're contributing to the company. I mean, I think too often people go to their employer and then what's in it for me, what's in it for the employee and what they should be doing is what can I do for my 
company or, or whoever. Um, that's what makes you valuable. And I, I think that just my attitude and my willingness to work and my willingness to be um, to put the company's interests first is why I was able to stay around for so long. Mm. You've been uh, that character so long. Do you ever like dream as Kane or randomly <laughs> be Kane and forget that you're Glenn? No, no. And thank goodness for that because uh, Kane's not necessarily a person I would want to be in real life. <laughs> okay. Um, so if we can now move on to your, um, your mayoral role. So, I mean, look, it's amazing that you've become a mayor. I think it's really inspiring. But I guess most people don't have any idea what the, a day in the life of a mayor is like. So could you give us a bit of a, a day in the life as um, a mayor? Sure. And it varies from day to day. Uh, like this morning, uh, I got up and went over. We're working on a project. Um, we have an issue here in Knox County, really across the state of Tennessee, really across America, uh, with mental health services. And that's driving some other issues that we have. We we have. Uh, we have a, a issue with jail overcrowding. And part of the reason is because a lot of people um, that would otherwise be re- receiving mental health services uh, end up going to jail because we, we just don't have any place for them. Uh, so I went over and looked at potentially uh, a potentially an old hospital in town that uh, is, has been decommissioned and you know potentially doing something with that. Uh, now around the holidays, uh, Knox County is a pretty big organization. We have about 2,500 employees. We have, we have 19 departments. Uh, so I go to all the different departments, and they have Christmas lunches and stuff and go around there and then dealing with the, the media um, and, and interviews and that sort of thing, um, as well as meeting, say, with my department heads. And uh, my job is really to, to have a vision of where I like things to go and – to chart that and then to implement it through, um, through our departments. Mm. Uh, so it's it truly is a CEO role. Um, but along with that, there comes a, a public component for sure. And also political component. And we have to make decisions about, you know, policies and that sort of thing. Um, so it's, it's, a it's, a, it is very interesting and it very, it certainly isn't boring. I mean, it varies so much, uh, from what I do one day to the next. Um, but yeah, you know, I don't know if there is really a typical day because there is all that variance in what we're doing. And do you prefer the public side or the political side? Uh, I, I, they're both there and I don't know. Uh, I don't, I don't know actually. Uh, it, it really depends. Um, Folks often forget that we're, we're a business, okay? We're in the business of providing certain services, um, and we're, Knox County is a billion-dollar business, okay? I mean, we have an $850 million debt and our uh, budget, and then we have like $500, $600 million in debt, which it's, it's a big business, 2,500 employees, all those different things. So a major component of my job is just making sure that the services that we're providing are, are being done in, in an effective and efficient manner at the lowest cost possible to our consumers, who are the taxpayers in Knox County. Um, but then, yeah, you have the have the political side too, which is um, you know some of the some of the decisions that that have to be made um, impact the business side of things, but 
they're not necessarily just business stuff. Um, so I don't know. I, I, and here's the thing too. What we often do in politics is we delve into personality and all that sort of stuff. I like to talk about ideas. And unfortunately, I don't think we do that enough. Uh, we, we really, and, and you can see it now with what's just going on in, this, in the United States and how divisive everything is here. Um, it's just my team against your team and let's fight it out and butt heads. And that I do not enjoy at all. So you said your job is to have a vision and then have the departments work towards that vision. So when, when you went for mayor and wanted the role, what change did you want to make and what's your vision? Well, I mean, uh, that's going to vary depending on a lot of different things. Uh, overall, as, as I said, uh, a couple of priorities that we're working on um, is mental health, uh, behavioral health, as well as we have a huge issue with substance misuse in our community, as many communities across the United States do. And those things, those two things are at the root of some of the other issues that we're facing, um, uh, such as our jail overcrowding issue, uh, our homelessness issue. Uh, if we could get, if we could get, um, if we could get our arms around mental health and substance misuse, which is of course a, a very difficult task, uh, it, it would help us in a number of areas. And also, um, Another big thing is how do we how do we prepare our workforce for the rapidly evolving global economy? Uh, I mean, if, if you look at all the things happening in the global economy, innovation has become the driving economic engine. And how do we prepare our workforce for that? How do we take advantage of that? How do we get companies that are in that sector of the, in the, of the economy to invest in us to come here? Uh, the way we do that is by fielding a great workforce. Uh, when, when we talk about economic development, which just really means jobs and all that sort of stuff. But when we're talking about companies coming here, it's no longer, it used to be, you know, you, you would build a, you'd have an industrial park or business park and, you know, we can do it for this and they build a building or you build a building and sell it to them, whatever. The site selection is not nearly as important anymore as the talent. It's your workforce, which companies are looking for. So how do we improve our workforce? Um, well, not necessarily improve our workforce, but change our workforce and tailor it so that it's meeting the needs of the 21st century. Thank you, Glenn. So now we move into a, a more sort of quick fire round. Um, so we're probably coming towards the end of the interview. Um, and we've started introducing something new into this show, which is called the cheeky round. So it's a bit of a test. Um, okay. you, you said you'd answer anything, so we'll give it a go. So we'll start with that one. Are there any po politicians that you would love to choke slam in the ring? <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm going to with, I will withhold my opinion on that one. I'm sorry. <laughs> that, don't be sorry. That's fine. I know it's a bad question. Um, no, it's not. It's a good question. I'm just not going to answer it. All right. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And for whatever reason you like, whether it's brand marketing association or just for fun, would you wrestle Trump in the ring? if he challenged you. So, uh, you know, he, he's actually done that. Yeah. Uh, it was WrestleMania years ago, uh, versus Vince McMahon in uh, a hair versus hair billionaire versus billionaire match. Um, so yeah, of course I would, I'll, I'll wrestle anybody if it's for a good cause. <laughs> okay. Um, and is there anyone who just trash talks you so much? You'd love to give them a bit of trash talk back. <laughs> uh, 
Gosh, man, I, I, actually, no, I, I get along pretty well with, with most people. Uh, and I tend not to trash talk. I just uh, I just ignore them because I think that that's what most people want is that they want you to say something back so that they can get the attention. Ooh. And actually, that's a good point, because obviously anyone who's successful has critics. And is that your strategy for dealing with critics to not engage? Yeah, I, I, I try to control what I can control and what I can control is my reaction. Mm. You know, sometimes I read stuff and does it burn me up? Yeah, but I also have to consider the source of where it comes from. Uh, and I also have to consider a lot of times, you know, people are making opinions based on very little knowledge mm. and their own biases. Yeah. Uh, and then I, I've done that too, right? I'm like, why are, you know, why are they doing this? And there's a reason for it. Um, so yeah, for me, it's, you know, I control what I can control and that's my react. That is my reaction to things. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. So, um, who's the toughest opponent you've ever had in the ring? The toughest opponent's the undertaker. Yeah. And we know why that is. (laughs) And then outside of the ring, and this can be a person or a life challenge. What's been your toughest opponent? Uh, probably my toughest opponent was dealing with, uh, dealing with how to overcome fear of failure uh, and you know, how, how do you, how do you, how do you say to yourself that you, you can go do something and not be paralyzed by the fear of that? Um, and then I referenced like my knee injury. That was probably the biggest thing. Um, but also my failures in WWE and also sometimes the thought of leaving WWE and what I would do with the rest of my life. Well, it turned out pretty well, didn't it? Glenn? <laughs> I guess. <laughs> and what's the best advice you've ever received that you can recall? Uh, the best advice that I've ever received is that I'm the one responsible for my life and no one else is. And it doesn't matter if things happen to me that aren't my fault. I'm the one that's going to have to deal with it. So I have to take ownership of things. And then have you ever had any really bad advice or the worst advice you can remember? Uh, a couple businesses that, that we got into were not really good, <laughs> not really good endeavors. Uh, and cause some financial headaches as well as just emotional heartache because you started, you, know, you have a business and you want it to succeed and it's almost like a baby. And then in the end, you realize that you're just going to have to let go because it ain't working and uh, it becomes an emotional decision. Okay. Um, is there one thing that's wrong with the world that you'd love to change? Yeah, we don't talk to each other. We scream and yell at each other a lot mm. and we all have a different viewpoint. We don't listen. Actually, we talk too much. We don't listen enough. If there was one guest, you would say, Rob, you've got to have this person on your show. I love them. They're amazing. Who would that be? Um, let's see. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm failing. Um, it'd actually be my, my former tag team partner, Daniel Bryan. Uh, he's a very smart guy and, uh, he brings for me often, he brings a different perspective to things. Okay, great. Um, this podcast is called the disruptive entrepreneur. So what does that word disruptive mean to you? Well, when we put it in context of uh, entrepreneur, what it means is, uh, basically, uh, concepts and ideas and products, which, uh, come in and, uh, disrupt the current economic, uh, paradigm, but actually end up improving. Mm. Okay. Uh, so, um, you have a, a, a book, I believe. Yes. It's called, it's called, this is 
It's called Mayor Kane, My Life in Wrestling and Politics. I, you can get that on Amazon? Yes. Or yeah, you is can it get it all the major, major online realtors. Yeah. It's autobiographical. Um, I, I think that, of course, WWE fans will really enjoy the, the WWE stories, and I talk uh, a lot about my political philosophy as well. Mm. And can you get it on audio as well? Is it on Audible? Yes, yes. Right. And I actually, I actually recorded the audio so yeah. you can hear me narrating the book. Great. And then you talked about um, Reed City USA. Can you tell us about that? Because you're passionate about yes. that. Yes. Yeah, we have an initiative here, which we are uh, really excited about. It's called Reed City USA. Uh, you can go to the website, reedcityusa.com. Uh, it is specific for Knox County, um, but it's it's trying to encourage early childhood literacy by encouraging people and families uh, to read together. Uh, we use uh, an app on your smartphone called the Beanstack Tracker app. And when people read whatever book or whatever, uh, they, they can enter their uh, hours using this app. And that goes into our database for the county. Um, in order to participate, you have to be a Knox County library card holder. Uh, but anyway, you use this app and, and it goes into our database where we're keeping track of all the hours and we have different uh, different milestones and, and awards and programs that we're doing based on the number of hours that people read as a community. So coming up in the next year, what we would like to do is we would like to read around the world 20 times, which means we're going to try to, as a community, we're not going to try, we will accomplish this, but we're going to read 500,000 hours as a community. It's 20 times around the world. The world is 250,000 miles in circumference, 500,000 hours. So our theme for, for this upcoming year uh, has a lot to do with um, just different learning about different cultures and, um, Basically, we have we have an airplane that's flying around the world 20 times. And along the way, we're going to learn about a lot about the world and hopefully learn to be better readers. Great. And then where can we follow you on social media? What are your main channels and what's your um, like handle? Yeah, on Twitter, it's at Glenn with two N's. So it's Glenn Jacobs TN. And then same on Instagram. And uh, then on Facebook, I have, have a number, but my the mayor page is Knox County Mayor Glenn Jacobs. Glenn, I really appreciate your time. Thank you very much for sharing all your insights with us. Um, really inspired by your journey. Just makes me believe that if you put your mind to anything, you can be anything you want. And that's, I think, what we want to kind of share on the show. So thank you very much. And, and I'm living proof of that. That's absolutely what I agree with. So thank you very much for having me on. Thank you, Glenn. Take care. Bye-bye.